confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you again for listening and for downloading this podcast. On today's episode, we'll cover the latest news around Serie A, Napoli, and Europe. In part two, we'll recap round 37 of Serie A. Then in part 3, we'll review Napoli's loss to Inter on Wednesday. And in part 4, we'll preview Napoli's final match of the season against Lazio on Saturday. So let's start with the news. We actually have quite a bit to report, which is nice. We haven't had that much news over the last few episodes. Starting in Serie A, the schedule for the final match day has been released. Five games will be played on Saturday. Brescia Sampdoria is in the early time slot, which is 6 p.m. local time or 12 p.m. Eastern. With the potential four changes in the final standings, Atalanta Inter, Juventus Roma, Milan Cagliari, and Napoli Lazio will all be played at 8.45 local time or 2.45 Eastern. The other five matches will be played on Sunday. Spalfiorentina is in the early time slot, again that's 6pm local time or 12pm Eastern. And the final four matches will be played at 8.45 local time or 2.45 Eastern. And those matches are Bologna-Torino, Genoa-Verona, Lecce-Parma, and Sassuolo Udinese. Next season's schedule was discussed at the Lega Council meeting on Thursday. One of the points to be discussed was the start date. We previously reported that De Laurentiis had leaked that Lega Serie A wants to commence on September 12th, while De Laurentiis prefers October 3rd. One of the challenges with a later start date is to be able to complete the season smoothly while also allowing Roberto Mancini to prepare for the Euros, It appears the season will start on either September 12th or 19th. In the latter case, the additional round would be made up on January 2nd and 3rd. The format of the season was also discussed. Prior to the meeting, it was rumored that Serie A could change to a group format with either 5 groups of 4 teams or 2 groups of 10 teams, followed by a playoff with the top 12 teams and a playout with the bottom 8. De Laurentiis was in the media recently talking about how a playoff should be used to stop Juventus' run of Scudetti. The playoff format is also supported by FIGC President Gabriele Gravina. Thankfully, the majority of the other presidents do not support the idea, as it would likely result in a decrease in revenue from the sale of TV rights. A final decision will be made both on the start date and the format in another council meeting on Tuesday, August 4th. 
They also talked about safety protocol. Serie A president Paolo Dalpino has consistently maintained that it's now time to bring fans back into the stadiums. And he doesn't understand how people can go to bars and discos, but they can't go to stadiums, which would have control measures in place. The Lega Serie B assembly was on Thursday as well, where the next Serie B season was discussed. It will start on September 26th and end on May 7th, which means there will be a few additional midweek matches, though those dates have not yet been determined. For this season, the final round will be played on Friday, which will recap next episode. The promotion playoff will be played between August 4th and 20th, while the relegation playout will be played on August 7th and 14th. We'll provide the full details on the dates and how those playoffs work next episode as well. Moving on to Napoli, with Napoli's match against Barcelona on the horizon, Aurelio De Laurentiis has written a letter to each player to give them added motivation in a way befitting the club president. According to La Repubblica, the letter says that if Napoli lose to Barcelona, they will start their summer training at Castel di Sangro on August 20th, meaning the players will have a 12-day vacation. However, if they beat Barcelona, not only will there be financial rewards, there will also be extra vacation days. The financial incentives make sense, but I don't see how the players could get extra vacation because if they win, they play again on August 14th and of course they would have to train in between matches. Moving on to Napoli, we finally got the official confirmation that Victor Osiman is a Napoli player, starting with the infamous De Laurentiis tweet and then from the official Napoli Twitter account. According to Gianluca Di Marzio, the transfer fee is 50 million euros plus up to 10 million euros in bonuses. I don't know what triggers the bonuses, but apparently they're difficult to achieve. In addition to that, Napoli will be sending their third keeper, Orestes Carnetsis, and three Primavera players, including 20-year-old Primavera captain and centre-back Claudio Manzi, 20-year-old striker Ciro Palmieri, and 21-year-old winger Luigi Liguori, who's currently on loan at Serie B Club Bari, but that loan actually just ended. Osman is expected to replace Arkadouj Milik, who remains linked to Juventus despite his poor performance of late. Meanwhile, Napoli signed Andrea Pitania in January. Pitania will likely replace Fernando Llorente, who has been linked to various clubs including Benevento, Genoa, and Parma. Moving on, with Napoli's match against Barcelona on the horizon, De Laurentiis has written a letter to each player to give them added motivation in a way befitting the club president. According to La Repubblica, the letter says that if Napoli lose to Barcelona, they will start their summer training at Castel di Sangro on August 20th, meaning the players will have a 12-day vacation. However, if they beat Barcelona, not only will there be financial rewards, there will also be extra vacation days. The financial incentive makes sense, but I don't see how the players would get extra vacation because if they win, they play again on August 14th and of course they would have to train in between matches. Finally, there has been some speculation as to where the Champions League second leg match against Barcelona will be played with the current state of COVID in Catalonia. A UEFA spokesperson told ANSA that they are monitoring the situation, but the game is still scheduled to be played in Barcelona. In Europe, the Bureau of FIFA's Council, which is their board of directors, approved FIFA's COVID relief plan, which will make 1.5 billion US dollars available for all levels of football to protect and restart football. Each of the 211 member associations will be given a $1 million grant, in addition to $500,000 for women's sports in Phase 3. Member associations will also have access to an interest-free loan up to a maximum of $5 million. Undoubtedly, some of those funds will go to the lower divisions of Italian football. On Wednesday, there was a meeting between the presidents of the top Italian sports, excluding Serie A and Serie B, with Minister of Sport Vincenzo Spadafora. At the center of the meeting, which lasted about two hours, was a discussion of the structural and economic measures necessary to guarantee support for Italian sports, which are experiencing a moment of deep crisis 
due to the pandemic. Lega Pro President Francesco Ghirelli led the discussions on behalf of the sports presidents. There were three main requests. The first was for a tax credit to support companies that sponsor sports teams. The second request was regarding reopening stadiums. For lower divisions of football, attendance is the primary source of revenue. And the third is regarding health protocol, which again, for the lower divisions of football, is a huge challenge. It appears Spadafora's reaction was positive. He recognized the importance of tax credits. He noted that the discussion of reopening stadiums is frozen for a few more weeks. And on the health protocols, he said he is ready to evaluate measures to relax the current regulations. Finally, Brand Finance has released its 2020 report on the top football clubs ranked by brand value. Real Madrid and Barcelona topped the list. They're both at $1.4 billion. Manchester United topped the English clubs at $1.3 billion, followed by Liverpool and Manchester City at $1.2 and $1.1 billion, respectively. Bayern Munich rounds out the billion-dollar club. PSG are 7th at $967 million, followed by three more English clubs. Chelsea are at $949 million. Tottenham at $783 million, and Arsenal is at $719 million. Sadly, no Italian clubs cracked the top 10, not even Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo. They're 11th on the list at $676 million, while Inter are 14th at $466 million. That will do for the news, and part 2 will recap the latest action in Italian football. Okay, so next we'll cover the latest action in Serie A. We'll start at the bottom of the table where Genoa took on Sassuolo. Domenico Berardi was easily the man of the match in this one. In the 18th minute, he played a clever through ball to Traore on the left side of the box. I'm not sure if Traore was shooting toward the back post or playing in a cross, but the ball ended up going wide of the post. He made up for it though in the 26th minute. Genoa's defending on this goal was really poor. Traore was left completely unmarked next to the post and Berardi spotted him. Perin got a hand on the ball but he couldn't keep it out. Traore got another chance in the 31st minute after some beautiful one-touch football from Sassuolo. His shot went straight at Perin who made the save and then on the rebound Traore skied over the bar. Around the 35th minute the match was stopped for quite a bit of time. Apparently Berami said something from the Genoa bench that the referee did not like. The referee was asking who made the comment and Genoa coach Davide Nicola wouldn't say where the comment came from so the referee showed Nicola a red card. When play finally resumed, Domenico Berardi scored the golazzo to double Sassuolo's lead. He curled his left-footed strike from the right side into the top left corner of the goal. There's not a keeper in the world that could stop that shot. In added time, Berardi again served one up for a teammate. This time it was Ciccio Caputo. He whiffed on the ball in the first attempt and then shot wide with his second. Genoa's first real chance didn't come until the 50th minute when Panda's volley missed the far post. Chicho Caputo got in on the action in the 66th minute after Petting cleared the ball straight to Sassuolo. 
Berardi again picked out Caputo's run and he scored his 20th on the season. According to the broadcast, with that goal, Caputo lost a bet with Alessandro Del Piero, so Caputo owes Del Piero a dinner. Berardi served substitute Giacomo Raspadori next. Berardi won possession around the midfield to start the counterattack. Raspadori ran the length of the pitch before firing a low shot to the far corner. Caputo scored his second goal in the 76th minute. Genoa had pretty much given up at that point. This one finished 5-0. So with that loss, Lecce had the opportunity to pull within one point of Genoa in the relegation battle. They took on Udinese. The first quarter of this match was really uneventful. After the water break, Udinese started to apply pressure. Nestorovsky nearly opened the scoring in the 30th minute, but he was called offside. In the 35th minute, Gabriel made an excellent save on Rodrigo de Paul from only a few feet away. A minute later, Udinese did get a well-deserved goal as Samir headed in from the corner kick. Only moments after that, though, Lecce were awarded a penalty. Filippo Falco's cross supposedly bounced into Rodrigo Becao's arm. I could not tell from any of the angles on the replay whether it hit his arm or his chest, but VAR reviewed the play and confirmed the penalty. Despite Mancosu's recent struggles from the spot, Liverani went back to him, which proved to be a wise decision. Mancosu delayed his shot to get Musso to move before placing his shot straight down the middle of the goal. Lecce took a huge blow in the 58th minute. Team captain Marco Mancosu was forced to leave the match after he went up for a header and fell straight on his back. Falco nearly put Lecce ahead in the 68th minute, but his curling effort missed the far post. Lecce did take the lead though in the 81st minute. Barak dummied the cross from Delorco. Lapadula touched the ball for Barak, who completed the give and go to Lapadula to knock the ball into the roof of the goal. Lecce were very deserving of the goal. The entire second half was played in Udinese's end. Unfortunately for Lecce, Lapadula also had to be removed from the match with what appeared to be an ankle injury that was so painful he had to be carried to his seat on the bench. So Lecce could be without Mancosu and Lapadula for their final match on Sunday against Parma. But with that win, they are now only one point back of Genoa. Moving on to the Europa League battle, we already knew that Napoli, Roma, and Milan would be playing in the competition, but we didn't know the final order. Roma took on Torino, who were playing without Andrea Bellotti, so you would think this would have been a walk in the park for Roma, but it wasn't. Spinazzola came close to opening the scoring in the 8th minute after Kolarov picked out his run down the left wing, but Torino keeper Samir Ukani challenged and made the save. A few minutes later, Nicolas Nkulu made an important block to prevent what would have been a certain goal for Edin Dzeko. While Roma looked like they were going to dominate the match, it was Torino that scored first. Simone Zaza played a perfect through ball to Alex Berenguer. Berenguer received the pass well to get past Paolo Lopez, then collected himself before picking the top corner with only Mancini to beat. The lead didn't last long though. Cristante, Mkhitaryan, and Dzeko worked some quick passes to create the opportunity for Dzeko, who took a quick touch before placing his left-footed shot into the bottom corner. Roma took the lead in the 23rd minute, Chris Smalling did really well to rise up to the Bruno Perez corner kick and thumped his header down and into the back of the goal. Kolarov nearly made Simone Zaza pay for a foolish tackle on Mkhitaryan in the 37th minute, but his bending free kick rocked the post and stayed out. In the 60th minute, Kofi Gigi fouled that Injeko in the box. He did appear to get the ball first, but these days there's not much you can do to defend that's not considered a foul. Amadou Diawara surprisingly took the penalty and scored his first of the season. Simone Verdi nearly pulled one back in the 65th minute, but his dipping shot just hit the upright. Moments later though, 19-year-old Wilfried Single did really well to keep the ball in play before taking a shot from a tight angle. Somehow the shot got past Paul Lopez, who really should have made the save. This was Single's first Serie A goal in his first Serie A start. 
There wasn't much action after that. Roma won 3-2, and with the win, they will finish 5th in the table, regardless of the outcome of the other match on the final round. That also means that Roma will go straight through to the group stage of the Europa League. Meanwhile, Milan will have to play in the qualification round. They took on Sampdoria. It took less than 5 minutes for Milan to score. Zlatan Ibrahimovic headed in anti-Rebic's cross. Rebic nearly scored himself 5 minutes later. Salamaker's dummy Chalanoglu's through ball to let it run through to Rebic, who shot toward the far post, but Sampdoria keeper Vladimir Falcone just barely got a foot on the ball to direct it wide of the goal. Ibrahimovic nearly scored a second in the 30th minute, but Yoshida did really well to block his shot, which seemed destined for the back of the goal as well. Fabio Cagliarella nearly equalized in the 51st minute from a free kick, but Donnarumma got down to make the save. Omar Kali was there for the rebound, but it bounced just a tad too high, so Kali couldn't keep the ball down. Milan immediately came back the other way and doubled their lead. Calabria played across to the far post where Ibrahimovic headed it back toward the goal. Ronaldo Vieira fell, which allowed Chalanoglu through and he smashed the ball into the back of the net. Initially, a foul was called on Chalanoglu, but VAR reviewed the play and saw that Vieira clearly fell on his own, so the goal was given. Chalanoglu returned the favor in the 58th minute. He picked out Ibra's run on the left side of the box, and Ibra finished with his left foot. He now has 9 goals on the season, which is really impressive for a 38-year-old who has only been with the club for half a season. Sampdoria had the chance to pull one back from the penalty spot after a dubious penalty call on Simon Kair, but Gonzalo Maroni's shot was poorly taken and Donnarumma made the save. 19-year-old Christoph Askeldsen put Sampdoria on the board with a top-class strike from well outside the box and into the top corner. Like Askeldsen, Rafael Leal also scored a beautiful goal from off the bench. He picked the top corner to restore Milan's three-goal lead. So this one finished 4-1, and with that win, Milan have secured 6th place. Next, let's talk about the battle between Inter, Atalanta, and Lazio for 2nd, 3rd, and 4th place. All three have already qualified for a Champions League, but it seems the final standings do matter to them. I can think of two reasons why. The first is financial. Back on episode 13, we did a feature on broadcasting rates, and one of the things we talked about is how the proceeds of the broadcasting contract are distributed. 50% is split equally amongst the 20 clubs, which is why it's so important for clubs like Lecce to survive, and the other 50% is based on performance, so the Scudetto winner gets the most, then second place, and so on. The second reason is pride. Last season, Atalanta finished 3rd, Milan finished 4th, and Lazio finished 8th, so they're all looking to improve over last year. So second place Inter played against Napoli. Inter won 2-0, which we'll cover in more detail in Part 3. Third place Atalanta played against Parma. Parma started the match very positively and got the first chance of the match in the 8th minute. Kulusevski played a ridiculous through ball to Caprari. He cut it back into the box where Ricardo Galliolo shot from point-blank range was stopped by Golini. Dejan Kulusevski came even closer in the 14th minute. He made a run on the right side, cut in onto his left foot to lose Caldara and fired a curler to the far post but hit the upright. Kuchka got the next chance in the 18th minute but his shot needed a bit more bend as it went wide of the goal. Caprari tested Golini in the 22nd minute on the counterattack, but Golini stopped that shot comfortably. In the 38th minute, Galliolo appeared to foul Timothy Castagna in the box. VAR looked at it and elected not to award the penalty. I've seen penalties given for far less. Parma got their much-deserved goal minutes before the break. Gervinho did well to continue his run past Remo Freuler. Then Kulusevski got a fortunate bounce on Schutolo's tackle. Schutolo actually should have done better, though. That allowed Kulusevski through and he fired Pascolini into the top corner. According to the broadcast, Kulusevski became the first player under 21 to score 10 goals since Mauro Icardi did it 7 years ago. 
Atalanta really didn't start growing into the match until about the 55th minute. You did feel that a goal was coming though, and it did come in the 70th minute from a Ruslan Malinovsky free kick. Malinovsky has a cannon, but under no circumstances should a ball go straight through the wall. Kuchka and Kurtic moved away from the wall for some reason, instead of staying tight, which allowed the shot to get through, and Sepe didn't have a chance. Then with 7 minutes to play, Papu Gomez scored a beautiful goal to put Atalanta ahead. He nutmegged Kuchka before picking the bottom corner with his left foot. Atalanta wasn't their best in this match, but they still managed to win 2-1, and with that win, Atalanta stayed in 3rd place, 1 point back of Inter. Lazio defeated Brescia 2-0, which we'll cover in more detail in part 4, so with the win they remain in 4th place, which they always would have with Inter and Atalanta both winning as well, but with this win, Lazio are only 1 point back of Inter, so they can still finish in 2nd, though they're going to need some help. Inter play against Atalanta in the final round, so Lazio need a draw there and a win over Napoli to finish in 2nd. Rounding out the week, Juventus lost to Cagliari 2-0, which of course means that Cristiano Ronaldo did not score. Ciro Immobile is now 4 goals ahead of Ronaldo in the race for Capo Canoniere. Fiorentina defeated Spal 4-0 on a hat-trick from Federico Chiesa. The third was a beauty. After the goal, he ran into the stands to give Frank Ribery a smack, which was a funny little moment. And on Thursday, Fiorentina announced that they've extended Beppe Iacchini's contract. Finally, Verona beat Spal 3-0. That'll do for part 2, in part 3 we'll review Napoli's loss to Inter. Okay, so let's review Napoli's loss to Inter. Valeri is ready, and Lukaku gets us underway, and I must... Danilo D'Ambrosio for Antonio Candreva. Another excellent ball in for Lukaku this time, and then Biragi to pull it back. And Danilo D'Ambrosio with a striker's finish. And Signore Valeri... Blows his whistle and Inter lead at half time. Danilo D'Ambrosio. Here's Lantaro Martinez. He's going to go for goal himself. Sweet hit from Lantaro Martinez. And that is now the best goal scoring season of his career. 14 in Serie A. And surely now the win for Inter. Valeri calls it a day, Inter. As Inter prepare for the trip to Atalanta and Napoli, wait for Lazio, but it finishes here, Inter 2, Napoli 0. As you heard, this one finished 2-0. As we always do, we'll start with the lineups. Antonio Conte made 7 changes to the lineup that started against Genoa. Samir Handanovic started in goal. He made a couple of big saves in the first half on Zielinski and then on Politano. Conte completely overhauled his back three. Alessandro Bastoni and Stefan de Frey returned from injury to reclaim their starting positions, which were temporarily filled by Andrea Ranocchia and Diego Godin. That was huge for Inter. Danilo D'Ambrosio completed the back line, starting over Milan Skriniar, which I thought would be a downgrade, and then sure enough, D'Ambrosio scored the first goal for Inter. 
In the midfield, Cristiano Biraghi was rewarded for his strong performance against Genoa, getting a second consecutive start over Ashley Young at left wing back. He put in another solid performance, he assisted on the D'Ambrosio goal, and he had an excellent opportunity to score in the 68th minute, but he didn't hit the ball well, and it ended up in the side netting. Antonio Candreva returned to his usual right wing back position, which wasn't a surprise considering how he played in the Coppa Italia against Napoli. In the Coppa match, Napoli sat back, so the wing backs were very involved. This match, Napoli played far more positively, so the wing backs were less involved. He did have a couple of blocks, one of which appeared to hit him in the arm, but the penalty wasn't given, and I'll get to that in a minute. In the middle, Nicolo Barella started over the suspended Roberto Gagliardini. Barella didn't really stand out to me, he had a good chance in the second half but his touch was too heavy and Meret closed him down. Marcello Brozovic played alongside Barella in the middle, I thought Brozovic played really well, he nearly scored at the end of the first half but he was stopped by Meret, and he made a really nice slide tackle at the very end of the match to intercept Gulam's cross which may well have prevented a goal. Borja Valero gave Christian Eriksen a rest in the number 10 spot. I was happy to see Valero get the start as I think Christian Eriksen is more dangerous even if he has struggled to impress Conte. Valero did make an impressive run down the middle of the field before feeding Biragi on his chance. Just in front of him, the red-hot Alexis Sanchez started over the struggling Lautaro Martinez and he played beside Romelo Lukaku who was coming off a brace against Genoa. Sanchez didn't do too much in this match, Napoli's backline did well to subdue him. He was replaced by Lautaro Martinez in the 60th minute who of course scored Inter's second goal and we'll get to that in a bit as well. Lukaku had another great match even though Koulibaly prevented him from having any serious goal scoring opportunities. This match really showed how much Lukaku does for Inter beyond simply scoring goals. He made an impressive run around Koulibaly in the 31st minute that gave me flashbacks of Kulusevski's run in the Parma match leading up to the penalty but thankfully Lukaku didn't go to ground. We saw his strength and hold up play at the end of the first half to set up Brozovic for a shot and his best play of the match came in the 78th minute. He did really well to control the ball at midfield facing his own goal, stopped on a dime with Insigne approaching, turned quickly and then played a beautiful ball with the outside of his left boot to pick out Barella's run on the wing and that little sequence was pure class. For Napoli, Gattuso made 7 changes to the squad he fielded against Sassuolo. Alex Meret started in goal. I was surprised to see Meret start over Ospina in goal knowing that the keeper would be involved in the buildup and Meret did have a few nervous moments on the ball in this match. He did make a couple of big saves as well though. One was on Alexis Sanchez though that play was later called offside. Just before the break he made his best save of the match on Marcello Brozovic's low shot that was destined for the corner. Just after the break he made a comfortable save on Lukaku's header. Unfortunately Meret did not help his cause with his play on Lautaro's goal which we'll talk about in a bit. At the back, LCQ side moved over to the right to give Di Lorenzo a rest and Mario Rui returned to left back. I didn't have Kusai in my projected starting 11, but I probably should have after the performance he had against Sassuolo. Unfortunately, Kusai did not repeat that performance. I find them to be more effective playing on the left side than on the right, but that might have to do with who the wingers are. Kevin Malqui replaced Kusai in the 85th minute. It was great to see Malqui back after he suffered that devastating injury back in October. For Mario Rui, I didn't think he had a particularly good performance, it was his turnover that ultimately led to the first goal, and while I like that he supports the attack, I don't like when he tries to end it. In the 25th minute, I think he thought for a second that he was Maradona. He controlled the ball with his first touch and then hit the volley with his second before the ball touched the ground, but his finish was nowhere near the quality of Maradona's as the shot went way over the bar. He took another ambitious shot from long range in the second half that was well off the mark. Rui was replaced by Gulam in the 65th minute, it was also good to see Gulam get a few more minutes and he actually played quite well, he made a few good runs on the left wing and played some good crosses to win corner kicks. 
In the middle, Nikola Maksimovic started over Kostas Manolas, who injured his ribs against Sassuolo. In the final minute of added time, Koulibaly accidentally stepped on Maksimovic, who was in considerable pain. He will undergo further tests to determine the extent of the injury, which appears to be an ankle problem. Maksimovic played next to Kaldu Koulibaly. We talked about Lukaku's strength while he met his match in this one. Koulibaly made a play in the 25th minute where he made Sanchez look like a child. I'm convinced Koulibaly has the best slide tackle in all of Europe. The slide tackle he made on Lukaku in the first half was world class and not only stopped the Inter attack but at the same time started the Napoli counter attack. Koulibaly also showed his passing ability in this one. In the first half he intercepted Borja's pass and then nutmegged him with a pass to Rui. And in the second half he played an excellent long ball with his first touch not to mention with his weaker foot to find Gulam on the wing. In the midfield, Diego Demis started over Stanislav Lobotka at the Regista spot, as expected. What I didn't expect to see happen was Elmas start over Fabian. I thought Elmas played well, though. He showed great skill in the 40th minute when he dribbled through four defenders in a tight space, but his shot was blocked. He had another shot in the 64th minute with his left foot, but it just missed the goal. Piotr Zielinski completed the midfield. I thought his passing wasn't particularly great in the first half, but all in all, it was another solid performance for him. He took a decent strike in the 25th minute. It was hard hit, but he caught too much of the goal, and Handanovic made the easy save. In the 65th minute, Zielinski was replaced by Alan. Up top, Lorenzo Insigne started at left wing. It was more of the same from Insigne, which is that he's excellent on the ball and creating opportunities for others, but he just can't seem to hit the target right now. In the 13th minute, he skied a volley over the bar. In the 20th minute, he got a touch on a Zielinski shot that just missed the corner. And in the 36th minute, he got his best chance of the match. He had a free shot from near the penalty spot, but pulled the shot, which also took a slight deflection off Kendrava and missed the goal. Insigne did have a moment of immaturity near the end of the match. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Perhaps he was just pissed off about how the match went. But Inter had a free kick, and Insigne was in the two-man wall with Lozano and he completely ignored his keeper's instructions. That's the last thing we need to see from our captain. Insigne had a part in the mutiny as well, and we know how mentally fragile this club is, so we need him to lead by example. Hopefully this was just a momentary lapse, because I do think he has been a good captain. Arkadouj Malik started at striker with Dries Mertens both hurt and suspended. This was another really disappointing performance from Milik. He seems to have checked out. He had a chance early in the match, but his first touch let him down. Milik was replaced by Jose Callejon in the 83rd minute, which I thought was far too late. My initial reaction was this was the first time that I think Gattuso got it wrong, but when I thought about this, I realized that Gattuso really didn't have much of a choice. With Mertens out, Milik is the only center forward. He tried Lozano at striker against Parma when both Milik and Mertens were out, and that failed miserably, so he must have felt that a tired Milik is still more likely to score than a fresh Lozano in that position, which is debatable at this point. Finally, Matteo Politano got his turn at right wing. He should have scored in the 31st minute after an excellent run from Insigne, who spotted Politano on the wing. Politano's first touch was really poor, but he still managed to get a decent shot off. Unfortunately, Handanovic made the save, and Politano was replaced by Lozano in the 75th minute, which again, I thought was just a little bit too late. So those are our player assessments. Let's get to the goals, and then we'll talk about a few talking points from the match. D'Ambrosio scored the first goal for Inter in the 11th minute. Once again, this pain was self-inflicted, and once again, it was because we didn't keep it simple. This play started with Mario Rui conceding possession deep inside his own half. Rui looked at Meret, but instead of playing the simple pass, he tried to pop the ball over Marcello Brozovic. Brozovic won possession. D'Ambrosio played the ball out wide to Candreva, who crossed the ball to the back post. There was a lot of standing around and watching going on from Napoli's midfielders at that point. First, no one picked up Biragi's late run, so he was able to put the ball back into a dangerous area. 
Then, even though there were five or six blue shirts in the box, no one picked up D'Ambrosio, who was wide open in front of the goal. Lautaro scored the second goal in the 74th minute. Napoli didn't do anything tactically wrong on the play. This was simply poor goalkeeping from Alex Meret. As an outfield player, you're generally happy to allow the opponent to shoot from that distance. I don't think Meret was expecting the shot. He was nearly standing on the byline, which is far too deep. When you're that deep, you have much more ground to cover as a keeper. He should have been standing closer to the top of the 6-yard box. I also think he may have seen the ball just a bit late with Lautaro shooting the ball around Koulibaly. Finally, I think we do need to give Lautaro some credit on this play. Even though the shot ultimately should have been stopped, he did do well to control the ball in his chest and then to get around Demme. It was also a very intelligent strike that you only see from strikers. Most players would put their head down and smash the ball from that distance and probably miss the goal. Lautaro hit the ball hard, but he took a little bit off it just to pick his spot. The accuracy of that shot from that distance was really impressive. Okay, so let's get to a few talking points from the match. Ironically, even though the result in this match was worse than in the Coppa Italia second leg, Napoli's play was far more positive in this one. Other than the opening 10 minutes or so, I thought Napoli were by far the better side. They moved the ball around really nicely on both sides of the pitch, they just couldn't finish, which has been a problem of late. Thankfully, there's only one match left in Serie A, and then they have a short break before playing against Barcelona, so hopefully by then Mertens is ready to go. We'll preview the match against Lazio in part 4, but I actually think Milik will start again because he's halfway out the door and the match is of little consequence, so Mertens is better off getting the extra rest before the Champions League. Another talking point for me is the poor quality from Napoli on set pieces, particularly from the corner flag. Napoli keeps playing these short corner kicks and they rarely get the ball into the box. And then on the odd corner, when they do play a direct, the quality of the ball is terrible, so that's definitely something they need to work on. The last thing I'll talk about is the appeals for the penalty. I'm probably in the minority amongst Napoli fans when I say that I don't think it was a penalty. The rule says a penalty is given if you make the body unnaturally bigger. Kandreva had his arms tucked into his body and he's turning when the shot hit him on the back of the elbow. I know that worse calls have probably been made. I know the officiating has been wildly inconsistent, especially against Napoli, and I know that Napoli have been awarded fewer penalties than most clubs in the league, but 2 or 5 or 10 wrongs still don't make a right. According to the letter of the law, that is not a penalty. I also know that if a penalty is awarded there, the entire complexion of the game probably changes, but if we're relying on penalty calls to get back into a match, then there's a much bigger problem we need to worry about, which is goal scoring. Hopefully we only have to worry about scoring for a few more matches. So that's our review of Napoli's loss to Inter. Up next, we'll preview Napoli's match on the weekend against Lazio. Americano, 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 Americano,
Sienta menun chasta nienta pa okay na bulitan tuvo fal american tuvo fal american Okay, so we'll close the pod with a preview of Napoli's match on Saturday against Lazio. As usual, we'll start with Lazio's most recent match, which was against Brescia. Lazio took on Brescia with Ciro Immobile closing in on Gonzalo Higuain's goal-scoring record. Immobile came close to scoring in the 14th minute from the top of the box, but he pulled his shot just wide of the mark. Joaquin Correa opened the scoring a few minutes later after some gorgeous play from Lazio. They completed 13 passes in the build-up, starting from the back, including Starkosha. Patrick played a lovely through ball to Correa. He played a give and go with Immobile before calmly waiting for the shot to open up and taking it. Lazio were definitely playing for Immobile in this one. In the 30th minute, Joni had a wide open shot on the wing and instead he tried to pick out Immobile in front of the goal. Luis Alberto had his crack at goal in the 36th minute from the top of the box, but Andrenacci did well to get down and got a hand on the ball to keep it out. Immobile got another chance in the 40th minute after some sloppy Brescia defending, but he didn't hit the ball fully so Andrenacci made the easy save. Moments later, Immobile came close again with a header from close range, but Andrenacci did well to stop that one as well. Immobile came close again in the 73rd minute, but he hit the side netting. Then he got a break in the 82nd minute, but his shot just missed the far post. Moments later, he broke free again and he finally got his goal. Immobile timed his run perfectly and Correa's through ball was excellent as well. That was Immobile's 35th on the season, passing Robert Lewandowski for most goals in Europe. Juventus got shot out by Cagliari, so Ronaldo is four goals back. That means Immobile in all likelihood will win the golden boot. He now has one match left to either tie or break Iguain's record, and fittingly, that match is against Napoli. Luis Alberto nearly made it three late in the match after a lovely run from Bobby Adincagne, but he smashed his shot into the bar. Then in add-in time, Andrenacci made yet another remarkable save on Immobile from close range. Immobile probably should have broken the record in this match alone, and Lazio probably should have won 10-0, but instead it finished 2-0. What stood out to me the most in this match is how hard Lazio were trying to get the ball to Ciro Immobile. Other than that, there's not much to take away from this Brescia match. However, there's plenty to take away from Lazio's last three matches, all of which have been victories. Things really turned around for Lazio in the match immediately before those three wins, which was the 2-1 loss to Juventus. Up to that point, that was probably Lazio's best performance since the restart, and it had a lot to do with the fact that Simone Inzaghi was without seven players, most notably Luis Alberto and Joni. So Inzaghi was forced to rotate, which is something he really hadn't done up to that point, perhaps because he wasn't too confident in his bench. But when he did, because he had no choice, the team played a lot better, which was probably an eye-opener for him. After that, we started to see Inzaghi rotate more, which could also be because that loss effectively ended Lazio's hopes of winning the Scudetto. Luis Alberto has been good since the restart, but since he got a match off, he's been exceptional. Likewise, Sergei Milinkovic-Savage is playing with a lot more confidence right now. So with that, let's get to the lineups. For Lazio, I think we're going to see the exact same squad that started against Brescia. Simone Inzaghi will line up his men in the 3-5-2 with Thomas Strakosha in goal. Lately, Inzaghi has been going with a back three of Luis Felipe on the left, Francesco Acerbi in the middle, and Patrick on the right, though it wouldn't be terribly shocking to see Basto start. If he did, I would expect to see Luis Felipe on the right and Patrick on the bench. In the midfield, Joni and Manuel Lazzari will play at left and right wing back, respectively. In between them, we will see Marco Parolo, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, and Luis Alberto. And up top, Ciro Immobile will start alongside Joaquin Correa. For Napoli, I initially thought we would see less rotation from Gattuso in the home stretch while Napoli prepare for their Champions League match against Barcelona, but that hasn't been the case. 
Well, I do think Napoli will play to win. I don't think Gattuso will start anyone who's not fully fit. For that reason, I think neither Maximovic nor Manolas start at centre-back next to Koulibaly. That leaves two options, Luperto or Di Lorenzo. Even though Di Lorenzo is a right-back, he's actually played more centre-back this season than Luperto has. So I'm going to go with Di Lorenzo in the middle, Mario Rui at left-back, and Elcid Kusai at right-back. Fortunately, we still have Gulam and Malqui on the bench in case Rui, Di Lorenzo, or Kusai need to be subbed out. I think that back line will play in front of David Ospina in goal. In the midfield, I think Lobotka will finish the season at Regista. In front of him, I'll go with Zielinski and Fabian, though I wouldn't be shocked if Alain started over Zielinski. Up top, I think Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left. I think Lozano has an outside chance of starting, but seeing as this is the final match of the season and it's against Chiro Immobile, I think Insigne will want to start. In the middle, I think Arkadouj Milik will give Dries Mertens a bit more time to recover from his tailbone injury. And finally, Jose Callejon will get his turn at right wing. For both Milik and Callejon, this will probably be their final Serie A matches for Napoli. In terms of the betting odds, Napoli are nearly 2-1 underdogs. Lazio pays 1.25 to 1 and the draw pays 2.8 to 1. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Lazio win. I'll give both of Lazio's goals to Chiro Immobile to break Gonzalo Higuain's record, and I'll say at least one comes from the penalty spot. For Napoli, I'll give Jose Callejon a goal in his final Serie A match with the Partenope. Lazio have a lot more to play for in this match. First and foremost, as mentioned earlier, they have a decent chance of finishing second if they win and if Inter and Atalanta draw. And if that match doesn't finish in a draw, then a Lazio win would secure third place, which is still better than their current fourth place position. I think Lazio will play this match like it's their last because it actually is their final match of the campaign. Napoli, on the other hand, will be looking ahead to the Champions League match against Barcelona. Additionally, Lazio will be playing for Chiro Immobile, who needs one goal to tie Gonzalo Higuain's Serie A single-season goal-scoring record and two goals to break it. I actually think he's more likely to score in this one than he was in the Brescia match. Lazio dominated that match and it seemed they were almost forcing the play to Immobile. Napoli will be more competitive even if they rotate so Lazio's play will feel more natural. For Napoli, I think the original plan was to use these final three matches as preparation for the Champions League, but with Mertens, Manolas, and Maksimovic all picking up injuries recently, I think the best way to prepare for Barcelona is to get healthy and to avoid further injuries to other players. Plus, the match against Sassuolo was really the preparation matches. They're the Serie A club that plays most similarly to Barcelona. That being said, unlike the first meeting between these sides, which was a very tightly contested match, I think this one will be far more open with Lazio playing for the win. An open field usually means more chances, which usually means more goals, but Napoli have really struggled to take their chances of late, and with Arkadouj Milik potentially starting, I don't see us scoring more than one goal. So that will do it for part 4, that's also going to do it for episode 31, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends, and if you could take a moment to leave us a review and give us a rating, we'd really appreciate that. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to focus on anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. For more of my takes on Napoli and Serie A, check out the latest episode of the Calcio Connection podcast with Alex Dono and Jerry Mancini. We'll talk to you again after the Lazio match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. I 
Network.